Okay, let's talk about one of the elephants in the room when it comes to post-separation abuse, and that is when we frame ongoing control and abuse as being an anger problem. No one gets hurt because someone experiences an emotion. People get hurt when someone chooses a behavior. Controlling an abusive behavior is a complex issue that goes far deeper than a mere anger problem. While emotions such as anger can be a contributing factor to behaviors, we must recognize that controlling an abusive behavior is rooted in much deeper psychological and emotional patterns. We need to shed light on why labeling abusive behavior as simply an anger problem oversimplifies what is a much more complex issue and gets in the way of meaningful understanding and intervention. Abuse is often about power and control and tends to be underpinned by a sense of entitlement. Abusers use various tactics to dominate and manipulate their victims, including emotional, psychological, financial, physical and sexual abuse. And this goes far beyond momentary bursts of anger. Rather, this is an entitled and calculated desire for total power and control. Unlike momentary anger issues, ongoing abusive behavior tends to be consistent over time and occur in a cycle or a pattern. Abusers are also often very charming to other people, and this makes it really difficult for anyone on the outside to recognize what's going on behind closed doors. The cyclical nature of abuse can involve a building up of tension, a particular explosive incident, and then a period of remorse or reconciliation, and then the cycle recreates. Coercive control, however, is often continuing and pervasive, continuing underneath and alongside bigger explosions of behavior. Abusers are often grappling with deep-seated emotional issues. And despite what could be a grandiose or narcissistic presentation, they often have low self-esteem, insecurity, and unresolved trauma. These issues can contribute to controlling and abusive behaviors as a misguided way to cope with what they're struggling with internally. Addressing the root cause of these emotional issues is necessary for meaningful change. And that meaningful change is not going to occur simply by looking at anger. Addressing emotions on some level, though, with these men is important because controlling and abusive people do tend to be very emotionally immature. Labeling abusive behavior as simply an anger problem can also sometimes mean that we're shifting responsibility away from the abuser. Labeling it as an anger problem can make it seem as though it's not really the abuser's fault. And this lack of accountability can make abusive and controlling people bolder and add to that underpinning layer of entitlement. We must hold abusive people accountable for their actions and we must recognize that often abuse is a choice. It's not an uncontrollable emotional response. 
by simply framing it as an anger problem, we risk significantly excusing or normalizing abusive behavior. Understanding abusive behavior as more than just an anger problem is so crucial when we're supporting a victim survivor of family violence or post-separation abuse. Victim survivors are often facing a whole range of controlling tactics designed to undermine their self-worth and their independence. When we recognize the broad spectrum of abusive behaviors and the fact that these are often very deliberate means of exerting control, we can create more effective support systems and interventions. And this is so important after separation because there does tend to be a very pervasive view that ending the relationship with an abusive person ends the violence, ends the control, ends the abuse. And that is absolutely not true. To address ongoing abusive and controlling behavior effectively, we have to move beyond the simplistic narrative that this abuse is simply an anger problem. When we acknowledge the complex interplay of power, control dynamics, emotional issues, and the impacts on victims, we can then work towards creating a deeper understanding of what's going on and what we can do about it. We need more comprehensive interventions and support systems, and we must hold abusers accountable for their actions. Often with the women that I'm working with, they will be feeling a lot of compassion and sometimes pity for their ex-partners. And I can understand this, particularly if the abusive, controlling person has experienced childhood trauma. Perhaps they're also struggling with mental illness. It's, it's normal behavior for a compassionate person to feel sorry for that person. The problem is when we are continually excusing this behavior, we're not holding these people accountable and we're never going to get change. Feeling sorry for someone does not help them. Feeling sorry for someone excuses them from what they're doing. And that is never going to lead to change. It's also a mistake to think that this behavior is happening without the full knowledge and control of the abusive person. There's often far more understanding and and a deliberate nature in what they're doing because Oftentimes, the abusive person does not behave this way at work or when they're in the middle of the supermarket, and that indicates a degree of control. They behave this way behind closed doors or toward their partner or ex-partner because on some level they know that there are little to no repercussions and that no one is going to hold them accountable. And if their victim goes to the police well, they can often create a very convincing narrative. They can come across as very charming They and they can be very believable. This is not an anger problem. This is not someone who isn't aware of what they're doing. And support needs to include holding abusers accountable. We can still provide support for behavior change, and for for them working through childhood trauma, if that's a factor, we can provide support for those things and hold them accountable for the behavior choices that could be underpinning that. 
But again, also underpinning this tends to be very deep-seated entitlement that is also often linked to gender roles and gender stereotypes. Another issue with the anger problem narrative is that it makes it easier for abusers to blame victims for the abuser's behaviour choices. There tends to be a belief amongst many victim survivors that they are the cause of the abuser's behaviour because they are pushing the buttons of the abuser or they are somehow making the abuser angry or making the abuser feel some other negative emotion. And it's this narrative that continues this pattern of victim survivors walking on eggshells thinking that if only they do the right thing, say the right thing, you know, be a certain way, not trigger the abuser, then the abuse won't happen. And that is not true. It is absolutely not true. You are not causing abuse. You are not causing controlling behavior. But your abuser wants you to think that you're responsible. Your abuser wants you to think that you have the power to change the situation, to change their behavior. And I'm calling bullshit. Part of holding abusers accountable is about recognizing, understanding, and acknowledging that we are not to blame for their behavior choices and we are not responsible for their emotions. Let me say that again. You are not responsible for anyone else's emotions. It is not your job to walk around on tiptoes so that the other parent or your ex feels comfortable and doesn't behave in an abhorrent manner towards you. It is not your fault. If you take nothing else away from this episode, please know that what has been done to you is not your fault. This is also why I'm very cautious when using the word narcissist or personality disordered to describe an abusive person. I'll touch on this more deeply in other episodes, but for now what I will say is that the vast majority of abusers do not have a personality disorder. Around 10 to 15% of the adult population has traits consistent with one or more personality disorders, and that means that the vast majority of adults don't. Most abusers do not have a personality disorder. And I think it's become, you know, very fashionable to label abusers as narcissists. However, that's just really not accurate. Somebody can have narcissistic qualities and not have a personality disorder. I think we need to start calling abusers for what they are, and that is they are an abuser. They are behaving abusively. And I think part of this pattern in labeling people as having a personality disorder, you know, it's it's because I think we really cannot wrap our heads around the fact that somebody could be behaving like this on purpose. Rather, it's easier for us to think that they don't know what they're doing because they're suffering from a personality disorder. And again, I'm calling bullshit. 
Bullshit. Most abusers do not have a personality disorder. Profiling the behavior and the personality of of an ex-partner is something that I do support my clients with. And there are particular traits that we will look for. And again, that will be covered in, in podcast episodes in the future. However, for now, please just know that the chances are that what you're dealing with is not a personality disordered person, but rather is someone who is abusive and who knows exactly what they're doing. And by continuing to believe or, you know, by persisting with a narrative that what you're dealing with is someone with a personality disorder, you know, what you're really doing is also excusing them of all responsibility of their behavior. And that doesn't help. Continuing to assume good intentions, continuing to hope for the best, to be addicted to the hopium, as some of my clients call it, it's not helping you and it's not helping the abuser. You're simply going to say, stay stuck in that same ever-evolving and revolving pattern of abuse. The bottom line, most controlling and abusive behaviour is not because of an anger problem and not because of a personality disorder. And it's not your fault. You thought you knew, but you didn't have a clue, clue, clue. If you're looking for more information and resources to help you understand post-separation abuse and the person who's perpetrating it, I've got you covered. In the general information section of this podcast, you'll find a direct link that will enable you to download your very own post-separation abuse checklist and workbook. If you need extra support to navigate your own situation, the best support of all is to work with me one-on-one or in the group membership that I offer. Keep going, you're doing a great job, and we are stronger and braver together. I'll talk to you soon. You thought you knew, but you didn't have a clue.